Please open your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 9. Let's take just another moment and pray. Father, help us to worship you now as we consider your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So last year, the Boston Celtics signed a major free agent, Gordon Hayward. And then they traded for a superstar, Kyrie Irving. And that team that was entering last year had just come off a wildly successful year. They had made it to the Eastern Conference Finals against the Cleveland Cavaliers and LeBron James. They added these star players and it added a lot of excitement. Could, could this be the year that they would take over the conference? Plus, LeBron James ended up changing teams, going out west, so it kind of cleared a pathway for the Boston Celtics to become like the team of the East, and that's exactly what many people thought was going to happen. Um, five minutes into last, the last basketball season, Gordon Hayward's leg snapped, and it was gruesome. Don't look it up on Google. It will do you no favors. It was disgusting. And then, as they were headed toward the playoffs, Kyrie Irving's knee was giving him some trouble, so he had to have surgery, and so he was out for the playoffs. And that team ended up being within one quarter, one good basketball quarter. That's 12 minutes. 12 minutes away. If they had played well for 12 minutes, they would have gone to the NBA Finals or the NBA Championship. And so that caused the level of expectation to ratchet up even one level higher coming into this year because Gordon Hayward was coming back, theoretically healthy, and Kyrie Irving, theoretically healthy, and all the same players that were there were coming back. And so they, they certainly were going to dominate the Eastern Conference. And that's not exactly what happened. Uh, they they kind of had a miserable season from the expectation standpoint, and they they lost in the second round to the Milwaukee Bucks. Most experts predicted that the Celtics would be headed to the finals, but what we recognize is just another of many illustrations in which Solomon's wisdom in this passage rings true. The race is not always to the swift, and the battle is not always to the strong. Take a look at Ecclesiastes chapter 9, and verses 11 and 12. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time. Like a fish that is taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of men are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. There's more Solomonic wisdom. Now we recognize sometimes the fast do win the race. Do you remember, you remember Michael Johnson? He won a lot of races. Michael Phelps, he won a few uh, swimming meets in his time. Remember the guy Usain Bolt? I, I think of him as insane Bolt. Like he's just flying around. That guy is so fast. He won a lot of races. Sometimes the race is won by the, the swift. In fact, many times it is. But not always. And then the battle's not always won by the strong. So what we want to recognize from verses 11 and 12 of 
Ecclesiastes 9 is that we need to be prepared for the randomness of life. Be prepared for the randomness of life. In verse 11, the expected outcome does not always come to pass. Again, we we read it, so I don't need to read it again. You've got the idea. In 1980, during the Winter Olympics, this happened. Now, even a sports fan has probably, in some context, heard that that clip. Because it's one of the most famous sound bites of sporting announcing that has ever been. It's, it's probably the most famed call in sports history. It's at least among them, anyway. Al Michaels in the 1980 Olympics the United States amateur hockey team taking on the big, bad USSR or Russian team that had won four straight gold medals in the Olympics in hockey. Uh, this team, the, the, the Russian team, had beat the United States team in an, in an exhibition earlier that year, 10-3. to 3. Everyone thought they were just going to mop the ice with them. That Russian team was filled with veterans that were seasoned professionals, and the USA team was filled with amateurs, average age 21. In the process, no one expected the United States team to win. Maybe they did themselves, maybe their coach. I have no idea, but probably most people didn't think they were going to win. But the race isn't always to the swift. The battle isn't always to the strong. The the wise aren't always the wealthy, and they don't always have the bread, right? It it doesn't always work that way. There is randomness to life. Not everything follows our plans and expectations. As you look to verse 12, uh, in addition to, to that concept, as a general rule, we don't know when or how we'll die. It says, for man does not know his time, like a fish that are... Uh, taken in an evil net like birds that are caught in a snare so the children of man are snared in an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. So you've got the fish illustration, the guy's swimming along, having a grand old time, trying to chase something to eat, enjoying, enjoying the ocean water. Think of it as little Nemo. Oh, he's swimming along, everything's happy, keep on swimming, keep on swimming, and then a net comes, scoops him up, and that's the end of it. Where's that fish going? In someone's belly, probably. Or, cute little Tweety Bird, flying around, lands, done, caught in his trap. You don't know, I have no idea how's it going to all work out. It's the same thing for mankind. The children of men are snared at an evil time. So it's also with people. Without warning, they can be diagnosed with cancer, hit by a bus, suffer an aneurysm. Or a heart attack. So many, um, we've, we, we know of people that it's just happened suddenly. No, no expectation, no warning. There it is. It's over. This is the randomness of life. And there's a biblical illustration I think would help us. We're going to come right back to Ecclesiastes in just a moment. Uh, but take a look at Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles 18. From Solomon's communication standpoint, not necessarily his vantage point, but what he's trying to communicate is there's randomness and chance to life. When you look at it simply from an under-the-sun perspective, 
Someone is snatched up, someone dies, someone wins a race that shouldn't, someone loses a race that should have won. Uh, all these random elements, because when in the way he's communicating, he's letting us know that, that things don't go the way that we expect. He's not saying that everything is subject to time and chance. He's saying from an under-the-sun perspective, everything is subject to time and chance. We have an illustration here in 2 Chronicles 18, we have the king of Israel and the king of Jerusalem that are, that are in a battle scene against an enemy. And so here, here we are starting in verse 28. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth-Gilead. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but I will wear your robes. And I'm going to disguise myself as the king of Jerusalem instead of the king of Israel. And the king of Israel disguised himself... And they went into battle. Now the king of Syria had commanded the captains of his chariots, fight with neither small nor great, but only, only with the king of Israel. We only have one target. Don't care about anything else that happens in the battle. Get me the king of Israel. Verse 18, as soon as the captains and the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, is it the king of Israel? No, excuse me, it is the king of Israel. Sorry about that. So they turned to fight against him. And Jehoshaphat cried out, and the Lord helped him. God drew them away from him. For as soon as the captains of the chariot saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. And a certain man, who knows, a certain man, drew his bow at, what does it say? Random. And struck the king of Israel, where? Between the scale armor and the breastplate. So this this guy, we don't know who he is, routine, random Joe, grabs his bow and his arrow, and he just randomly shoots an arrow. The only target, remember, is the king of Israel, disguised himself. Ah, I've got it. Everything's fine. I'm, I'm making it. They're retreating until the arrow flies through the air. And not only is this random target hit, he's hit in a place that would... Take him out. It says, uh, Therefore he said to the driver of the chariot, Turn around and carry me out of the battle, for I am wounded. And the battle continued that day, and the king of Israel was propped up in his chariot, facing the Syrians uh, until evening. Then at sunset he died. Talk about random chance, right? They're all shooting for him, but they can't find him. And they were just about to maybe give up. He was getting out of Dodge. And some guy shoots an arrow, and it kills him. Time and chance. Is that how it works? Or is there something else at work here? There's something else at work here. Our lives, from start to finish, are in the hands of a holy and sovereign God. From the vantage point, again, of Ecclesiastes and what he's trying to communicate, we need to recognize that there's randomness to life. We don't know when we'll die. Head back to Ecclesiastes, please, chapter 9. In light of the randomness of life and the uncertainty regarding when we will die, we can look at Ecclesiastes 9 and recognize this. We should entrust ourselves to God. In verse 1, But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are what? Are in the hand of God. They're in the hand of God. In light of the 
randomness of life and the uncertainty regarding death, we, can, we should use our time to impact others before it's too late. You see that in verses 4-6. through six. We're not going to read it again. We said, dealt with it last week. In light of these things, we should also enjoy the gifts that God has graciously bestowed upon us. That's 7, 8, and 9 of Ecclesiastes chapter 9. And then in light of these things, we should also be ready to work hard at what is at hand to us. Verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or, uh, or wisdom in Sheol to which you're going. And then he talks about this randomness. Verse 11, not, having, not knowing who's going to win, not knowing who's going to lose, not knowing who's going to get the bread. Verse 12, the certainty of death, but don't know when it's going to take place, but it will suddenly fall, fall upon us. Because of the uncertainty of life, the randomness of life, the uncertainty concerning death, we should apply the wisdom that is available to us. That's what comes next. We should apply the wisdom that's available to us. We see that in verses 13 uh, all the way to chapter 10 and really all the way through chapter 10, but we're only covering through chapter 10 and verse 1 this morning. So we move from be prepared for the randomness of life on to number two, choose wisdom over power or wisdom over might. Look at verses 13 through 16. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. It impressed me as another version. There was a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. Solomon was very impressed by this display of wisdom that he saw. He mentions that in verse 13. He portrays this little versus big, um, strong versus weak, poor versus influential or rich in verse 14. This illustration sees a little city against a great king, the great king enters and he is, he's ready to build siege works. And he actually builds siege works. Now, siege works, you could also call it a siege mound. I have a few photos here for your consideration. I believe that this is Masada. Um, whether it is or not, um, this is a, 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 envisions a siege mound. Masada is in the southern part of Israel. You can see just a few different angles. What they would do is, is the city lifted up, well protected. But... If a, an army comes in and they are, have a, a, a wise plan of attack, they're going to build a mound so that when they come in, they're coming in at eye level rather than trying to come up and having someone drop rocks on their heads. It's pretty easy if you're down there, you know, you're up here and someone's down there, and they're coming to attack you and you drop a rock on them. I think you can win most of the time, wouldn't you think? So they would build these siege mounds and enter up into the city and overtake it. Well, that's the plan here. This great king comes against this little city and they build these siege works, these mounds. But there was a poor wise man in this little city and his plan would save the city. Now, there are two ways of reading this. I think it, I find it to be too straightforward to read it the second way, but I'll give you that other alternative reading so for your own consideration, there are two ways you can view this situation. So the, the great king comes to the city. The little, there's this, this poor guy in there that's like, I know how you could save the city. 
but no one listened to him so he might have saved the city. And the reason that there's a, some validity to reading it that way is the very next verse says, uh, sorry, verse 16, but I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. So you see that, how it could be read that, well, he, he had this proposal of how the city would be saved. No one listened, and so the city wasn't saved. So they could be read that way. I think the evidence leads to, I saw this great illustration, this great thing, and it impressed me how a, a, a poor person in a small city saved his little city against a great king and the siege works. I think it reads better that way. I think that's the, the idea. But you can choose how you want to take it. The point is not whether the city is saved, not saved. The point is the illustration. The proverb is this. The proverb is this. I say that wisdom is better than might. Wisdom is better than might. Sometimes the only way the words of a wise person, this is the end of verse 16, sometimes the only way the words of a wise person are actually heard by a prominent person is when crisis arises. Say, oh, I don't know what else to do. Does anyone have any ideas? <laughs> what do you think? Um, that's, that's kind of the way that it's written here, but I say that w- wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. He goes on and says in verse 17, the words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among the fools. In other words, we've got this prominent person barking out orders. This is how it's all going to work. This is going to be great. That's not as good as the person that actually knows what the way to, to deal with it, even if he's not the one pontificating from a platform. Wisdom is better than might. Wisdom is better than pomp and circumstances. As I was thinking about this passage, it reminded me, now, this is not a, a pat-on-the-back-to-me story. So I, was, I, I hate sharing. I share plenty of bad illustrations about myself. So every now and then, um, if something works, and I use it myself as an example, it's not because I'm saying, look how great I is. Not doing that. But I remember back to my chaplain school days, and we were doing um, our, our field exercises. And we had to learn how to do land navigation, and we had to chart things out on a map and find these, these landmarks and go through all these things. And it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, during the, the last day of our field exercises, here's the plan. You get, as a group, there are four or five of us in the group, you get, as a group, one MRE to split for the entire day. And it's hot in South Carolina where we were doing this. So here we are out in the hot sun doing our land nav, and we're splitting one MRE between us. And um, we had to find these, these places. So it was great. We, we, we find all of our, our targets. We get back. Everything's fine. Well, then they changed the teams up for the evening. And now we're doing night land navigation. Now, day land navigation is not that big of a deal. But night land navigation adds another entire element to it. So we have this new team, and it's fun. I I don't have these illusions of grandeur personally, but we've got this new team. We've got this funny young guy on our team. He's very much a type A personality, and he's very competitive. 
And so he takes, he takes the reins. He's, like, he's got all this figured out. He's going to, okay, you're going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and, and you're just, you're just going to be the pace guy. You know, you, how many steps, okay? Yep, all right. There's, there's how many paces. I'm the pace guy. All right, fine, whatever. I don't care what I do. So he's got all these plans, and we're off on our mission. And he's getting stressed because we're not getting any of the marks. He can't lead us to any of the landmarks. So I'm like, hey, listen, just, just so you know, I know this is going to be news to you. They're not, if you're stuck in the field somewhere, right, and there's a group of, of naval personnel there or Marines or whatever it is, and you're lost, I just want you to know, the chaplain is not the guy that they're going to go to for nightland navigation. So he kind of piped down a little bit. He kind of chilled out a little bit for about two minutes. And then he starts getting all angry and all anxious and everything else again. And like he's ruining this gloriously fun time. Like who doesn't want to go trekking through the woods at night in South Carolina? It's, it's like tons of fun. Like this is like ideal opportunity. And this guy is stressing out and making everyone's life misery, miserable. So I finally said again, listen, buddy, they're, they're not trying to get us to get all the landmarks. That's not the point of this exercise. The exercise isn't, chaplain, lead us through the, the, the night land nav so that we can be saved. The point of the exercise is under duress and stress and um, difficulty, how can you work together as a team? That's the point of the whole exercise. Don't lose the point. Guess how long you calm down for? About two minutes. So I finally said, whatever, and I just walked around with them. I stayed with my group, and I just let him get all stressed out. Pomp, arrogance, determination, I know everything, those kinds of things, they sound good when things are working out. But as soon as things aren't working out, what do you have left? So you've got like, I've got this great exercise plan and this great diet plan. If you follow my diet, you'll lose all kinds of weight. And you're like, all right, that guy knows what he's talking about. And you start on it, and you're just as not skinny as you were before. <laughs> oh, no, 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 here's another one. I learned how to flip houses in a special way, and I want to share my knowledge with you because I don't want to keep it all to myself. I can't, I can't sell all the houses. I want to share it with you. So I'm coming to the Providence area, and I want you to be a part of my house flipping methodology. Come and spend $275, and I will teach you all the secrets. Pomp, 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 pomp. And then you, then you buy your first house, and you're like, oh, my goodness, what have I done? What's the matter with this? Well, as we look at the passage, verse 16, wisdom is better than might. As you look at the passage, wisdom is better than the loud shouts of prominent people, verse 17. In verse 18, wisdom is better than weapons of war. Whip, uh, excuse me, verse 18, wisdom is better than weapons of war. So, we've already gone through a few items here, and I, I, try, I try to do something little nifty here. You know how you can have like alliterated outlines, right? Then you could have ABC outlines, but I decided I was going to follow a Solomonic type thing, and I left the A out altogether, and I did a BCD outline. You like it? So be prepared for the randomness of life. Choose wisdom over power. And three, don't play the fool. 
BCD. You'll remember that. You've got it all figured out now. Don't play the fool. Verse 18. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. With all of the benefits of wisdom, some of it that's described in this passage, and in other sections of the book of Ecclesiastes and in the Proverbs, we're being promoted to have a wholehearted wisdom. But wisdom, regardless of how much there is, it's overcome by sinfulness. One sinner destroys much good. You remember Achan? Here are the people of Israel come into the promised land and they head to Jericho, march around the city, the walls come tumbling down. God had given them a directive. Listen, burn all this stuff, get rid of all this stuff, and any of the, any of the, the loot, any of the loot goes into the Lord's coffers, goes into the treasury of the Lord. You're going to need to use that for the building of things when you get into the land. It goes into the coffers of the Lord. Well, Achan didn't, Achan didn't listen. Remember, he saw, he took, he coveted, he hid. He saw, he coveted, he took, and he hid uh, those, those three items. The people of Israel had just defeated Jericho, the famed city. They march further. They come to Ai, chest puffed out, heads held high, We'll just send a, a few hundred guys. Two, three hundred. Don't worry about it. This is a small city. Don't worry about it. So they send them up, and they came running back with their tails between their legs, except for 36 of them who died. What was the problem? There was sin in the camp. And sin overcomes the good things that come from wisdom. Sin overcomes the good things that come from wisdom. The Bible says in two places, both 1 Corinthians 5 and in Galatians 5, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? That's the concept that Solomon is conveying here. Wisdom is better. Wisdom is better. Wisdom is better. Wisdom is good in uncertain ages. Wisdom is good when you don't know when you're going to die. Wisdom is good when you know, okay, you can make an impact while life lasts. You can make an impact. You can enjoy things that God gives you while life lasts. You should work hard while life lasts. Apply the wisdom that you've been given. Be wise. Think wise. Do wise. But don't be deceived. Don't play the fool. Just mix a little sin into wisdom, and its benefits are distorted. He says that at the end of chapter 9 and then the beginning of chapter 10. Look at chapter 10 and verse 1. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. One paraphrase of this verse is, dead flies make a bowl of perfumer's ointment disgusting. Here you have, you've got your your ointment. Now, you're going to put it on, you're going to smell better. And you go to stick your hand in it, and there are like 47 flies in there. You're going to rub it on you? What do you think? How about a dying carcass in the middle of it. How does that smell? Mmm. Gonna smell lovely. What's the point? The point isn't the funny illustration. The point is wisdom, 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 but if there's foolishness, folly that is associated 
then that wisdom has been overcome. It's been outdone. Martin Luther wrote this, Just as dead flies ruin the best appointments, so it happens to the best of counsel in the state, in the senate, or in war. Along comes some wicked rascal and ruins everything. We look at this passage, wisdom can save a city, verses 13 through 15. Wisdom is better than might, verse 16. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, verse 18. However, wisdom cannot ensure victory, verse 11, right? You can't guarantee. The, the race is not always to the swift. It's not always to the strong. Wisdom can't guarantee victory. Uh, wisdom can't stop death, verse 12. Wisdom can't make you be remembered in verse 15. Think about that. Here's this, this wise, poor guy. Great king comes, and he saves the city, and everyone forgets him. Well, that illustrates what, uh, what Solomon has already told us. When you're dead, you're gone, you're forgotten. Dead, gone, forgotten. That's the way it is. Wisdom can't make us re- be remembered Wisdom cannot ensure that we'll be heard, verse 16 and 17. Wisdom cannot counterbalance sinfulness, verse 18. And wisdom cannot counterbalance foolishness. Life is indeed difficult to figure. Randomness can seem to rule the day. With all of the randomness of this life, our hearts should seek after unmovable and eternal treasures. And in our Lord Jesus Christ, we find all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Not only is he unmovable and eternal in his wisdom, he is never tarnished by unrighteousness, sin, or foolishness, folly. In our Savior, we have pure wisdom, goodness, and righteousness. That's part of the good news. It's not all of the good news. In our Savior, we find pure wisdom, goodness, and righteousness. As a gracious Savior... He also provides these eternal graces to those who turn to him in faith. He provides for us eternal wisdom, eternal goodness, eternal righteousness. And in the context of this passage, that's really important news. Because we can wise it all we want, but you're a sinner. I can wise it all I want, but I'm a sinner. And sometimes my wisdom is counterbalanced negatively by my folly, as is yours. Jesus never counterbalanced his wisdom and goodness and righteousness. He was always pure in these ways. And so what I need is something that will counterbalance my sin and counterbalance my folly. That will fix it. And that's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ provides. When we are covered by the wisdom of our eternal God, we can take the randomness of this life in stride, knowing 
that while it might seem random to us, he has our lives in his wise hands. When we are secure in our union with our wise God, we do not have to look for ways to exercise our own power of position for our own gain. But we can rest in His sovereign reign. When we are united together with Jesus Christ, our sin and foolishness are overcome by His righteousness, goodness, and wisdom. This is what we need, folks. It's available. It's available. Same, same message, different passage, different date. Here we are in our sin. We realize what our sin results in. We have to turn from our sin and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. And He supplies for us what we so desperately lack. Forgiveness of sin. Eternal righteousness, goodness, wisdom, and so much more. He provides for us eternal life. Solomon lets us know that life is random and uncertain. There's wisdom, wisdom that we must apply in the midst of that randomness and uncertainty. Wisdom is far better than might, but wisdom can be overcome by our own sinfulness, so don't play the fool. Turn, turn to a source of wisdom. Turn to a source of goodness. Turn to a source of righteousness that will never be tarnished, supplying it to us forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your goodness. We pray that you help us as we continue to learn and read and consider the words of Ecclesiastes that you have inspired through this man Solomon. Help us to learn what we need to learn and may May our hearts cry out to you. May our hearts trust in you. May we receive from you what we need that we would display in this life your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.